0: Good morning and welcome to Money Talk Extra, Radio 3's regular Saturday morning look at personal finance for Hong Kong. On today's programme, we're going to discuss commuting. I'll look at the costs of buying and running a car. Jimmy Lam talks to a Money Talk Extra listener who wants to reduce her commuting costs. And in our investment segment, I'll discuss leveraged foreign exchange trading. As always on Money Talk Extra, this programme is about you. We would like to hear about your personal finance issues and problems. Please email us, moneytalk at rthk.hk is the address. We're also on Facebook, where our page is Money Talk Extra on RTHK Radio 3. Buying a car in Hong Kong is a big outlay. A car is also a depreciating asset. You'll never be able to sell it for more than you paid for it. So should you buy a car or find other means of getting around Hong Kong? To look more closely at the costs of owning a car, I'm joined now by David Niebone, General Manager of the Investor Education Centre. Morning, David. Good morning, Peter. If you're considering buying a car, what are the main costs that you need to take into account? Registration, licensing fees, insurance. So the starting point is, first of all, choosing your car. Absolutely. Um, What are the sort of considerations that you need to take into account when you do that? Well,
1: apart from the one you like, the colour, the... Size of the motor and all those key things. Um, New cars versus used cars in Hong Kong is a very different experience, a very different purchase experience. Cars are not common. Less than 10% of adults in Hong Kong actually own a car because of this magnificent infrastructure that we have built into the city and the um, strong abilities of public transport and taxis and various other things. But um, I'm afraid the taxes on a new car can be quite substantial. In fact, sometimes over the ticket price. So the difference between buying a a new and used car in Hong Kong is marked compared to other countries.
0: And one of the biggest costs of owning a car is depreciation. The bigger the car, the more it's going to depreciate, and presumably brand-new cars will depreciate faster than second-hand ones.
1: From the moment, you drive them off the lot, as the saying goes. So don't get into car ownership if you're thinking about um, building wealth. Put it that way, because (laughs) um, unfortunately it is known as a depreciating asset, unlike, for example, property in most situations and particularly in Hong Kong where in the last few decades we've seen property increase substantially over time and it's unlikely to happen to cars in the medium to long term unless there's some something interesting going to occur that
0: none of us know about but it's unlikely. And what about choosing between a petrol and an electric car are there considerations there in terms of the financial aspects? Certainly in fact the
1: government's made recent changes in regards to electric cars, that leave them still somewhat more attractive, but less attractive than what they were even in April of 2017. So um, I think there is still an incentive of nearly $100,000 that's available to you in terms of um, some form of relief with an electric vehicle, but it was substantially more. So, I mean, the key thing is to get those sums and see if from a financial perspective, it is the right thing for you and your budget at this point. Now, there are many other considerations around the purchase of a car in, in terms of your tax situation you should be aware of, which you should talk to an accountant about or a tax expert, but there are still some differences between uh, petrol versus electric
0: cars. Not as good as they were, though. <laughs> so you've chosen the right car for you. Now you've got to pay for it. Mm. Uh, most people can't afford to buy the car outright, so how do you pay for it?
1: Well, ideally, you've got a sizable um, down payment. Um, if you're talking to your bank, you may be uh, in a situation where you can get a lower interest loan than, say, dealing with the finance company associated with the motor dealer. Um, I think the key thing is, and this is true of any lending, is that you really need to be very, very careful about the – terms and conditions of the loan concerned. It's very, very easy when you see that great red car with the excellent leather seats and the brilliant tyres and wheels to forget about um, the weekly or fortnightly or monthly cost or maybe put that fifth or sixth on your priority queue, put it at number one because people can unfortunately even here in Hong Kong get burnt if they don't fully explore all the terms and conditions of whatever lending option is available to them. And dealer financing, is that an option? It's, it's a bit more expensive than a bank loan, isn't it? But- it's certainly an option. Um, but again, I, I would encourage people to shop around. Do talk to your primary banking relationship. Do talk to the, uh, really any form of, of third-tier, what we call third-tier finance relationship. But I mean, it's, it's, um, I think the key thing is to get a comparison point. Don't just look at the percentage that's mentioned in the contract. Ask exactly what the total cost may be and compare that to what your bank is saying. Compare it to any form of lending that's available, including potentially that from your family. And what about leasing? Is that another option here in Hong Kong? Could be a great, it could be a great option, and yes, it is an option that many people do take up. Um, it's not the majority option, but um, there are distinct tax advantages to you and potentially your business for the, taking up that option. It's worth exploring. It's worth having a conversation with a tax advisor and a tax
0: expert about it. What are the compulsory requirements for insurance under the Motor Vehicles Insurance Ordinance? Um, It's compulsory to take out insurance with an authorised
1: insurer to cover your liabilities for death of a third party, basically, so what we'd call third-party insurance. Um, I would go further than that, though. What happens, I mean, I wouldn't want anyone to see the the asset that they've invested in disappear either through theft or through some form of accident, which I would wish on no one. Third-party cover provides you with a degree of cover, if you affect another party but you possibly would require more than that depending of course on the value of your vehicle and um, what sort of things affects the premiums the cost of that motor insurance uh, your age your occupation your driving experience the type of policy you choose the valuation of your vehicle your past claim history there's quite a list of potential things that would affect that but again as we said earlier with finance, shop around, you might be quite surprised. Insurance is very competitive in Hong Kong and there are some very significant differences between policies. And most policies have an excess, don't they, which Mm. can help bring down the premiums? They do, yes. And of course, if you're prepared to wear a higher excess, um, then it's likely you will pay less. Could you explain what an excess is, how that works? If you wish to make a claim and say that claim is worth, um, I don't know, it could be anything ten to $20,000 of damage if you have an accident, for example, your excess is the amount that you have to pay towards that, regardless of whether you have insurance. So in some cases, your excess could be as low as $1,000 Hong Kong dollars. In other situations, it could be a lot higher. The higher you negotiate your excess up, the lower your premiums are often.
0: Now, what about if you are a young driver, say under 25, or an inexperienced driver? It can be a bit more difficult, can't it, to get motor insurance? It can be, yes.
1: And you um, more often than not have to pay more, <laughs> unfortunately. But um, that's life. Unfortunately, uh, many younger people are responsible for some of the traffic issues we face across all countries, not just in Hong Kong. So until that accident rate comes down amongst young people, it's likely the, the insurance
0: costs for those under 25 will remain higher for those over 25. Now, we've talked about the cost of the car and insuring it. What other expenses should you take into account if you're considering purchasing a car?
1: Well, I think the ongoing running costs is something to think carefully about. Repairs and maintenance do make an allowance for it. If you've got a brand-new car, you would hope that that's not... A bigger issue is what it could be if you're buying a used car. Um, fuels, well, it's an expense. It's just something to be aware of. Parking in Hong Kong could be quite oh, yes. a challenge, <laughs> particularly in some more popular areas. And obviously toll fees. If you're going backward and forward between Kowloon Peninsula and um, Hong Kong Island, you could be in for some quite significant toll fees, Leave alone further afield.
0: And are there steps that you can take to minimise your driving costs?
1: Yes, as with any finance situation, do plan ahead, do explore, do investigate. There's um, I there several people I know are now sharing vehicles to come to work because of either public transport not being available to them or it working out to be less expensive, to be honest. Carpooling is not a bad idea. We're in the money, we're in the money
0: That's David Nebone of the Investor Education Centre. Hong Kong is one of the best cities in the world when it comes to commuting to work. It has a cheap, safe and efficient public transport system. Nevertheless, there are a number of options when it comes to commuting. Money Talk Extra listener Fiona Look bought a car to save 45 minutes of travel time from her home in Sai Kung to work. She told Jimmy Lam how that's impacted her financially.
2: Um, morning, Fiona. Can you tell us a bit about your background?
3: Uh-huh. I live in Saigon. Every day I drive to work. My office is in Ma Liu Shui.
2: And how much time do you need to um, spend driving to your office?
3: Around half an hour. Uh, door-to-door is quite fast, I think.
2: And uh, when did you buy your car? And do you think it's a big invest- investment for you?
3: Uh-huh. I bought my car actually just a few months ago, in March this year. Um, I bought this because it would save me a lot of time traveling to work. I can get to my office, uh, just as I mentioned, around half an hour instead of wasting time for transfer. In the past, I used to take bus from Kong to Ma Onshan and then change to another bus or minibus to Ma Shai. The minibus is usually full during peak hours in the morning. I spent at least an hour fifteen minutes to go to work back then but now I only need half an hour driving um, so co- you
2: say 45 minutes
3: per ride yes uh, if you times two it's quite some uh time.
2: Time is money. <laughs> mm-hmm, yes.
3: Um although yeah the car cost me around forty thousand Hong Kong dollar, But I think um it's worth though I still think the number is quite significant to me and it's quite expensive to maintain a car.
2: And did you need to pay tax when you buy the car?
3: Uh because it's a second hand car so uh test uh with the it's without tax.
2: And you mentioned it's quite expensive for you. Uh, So, how much of a financial impact does owning a car bring you?
3: Um, It's one of the major expenses for me. It costs me around three thousand to four thousand each month, uh, which involves around it's one thousand five hundred for gas and another one thousand five hundred for parking, um, and also some maintenance. Um, That is also license fee of around 2000 each year. It eats into my income by a certain fraction.
2: And about parking, do you park it on the street or in a parking lot?
3: Uh, I park it in, in a uh, car park which is uh, outdoor. I thought about parking on the street as well but if I uh, tried to estimate the number of tickets I would get from the police, then I uh, chose to uh, go to a car park at the end. Yeah,
2: and some people do think that maybe it's worthwhile to park on the street and risk getting all those tickets, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. if uh, you are lucky, maybe you will get only two to three tickets monthly. And if you park in some parking space which costs you maybe two thousand a month, then maybe it's more. It's cheaper to park just on the street.
2: Okay, and uh, did you buy the car insurance?
3: Oh, yes, I forgot to mention that. Um, yes, um, I need to get a car insurance which costs me around 2000 a year. $2,000 a year, yeah.
2: And uh, is it the. What kind of uh, coverage does it have?
3: Oh, uh, I got the cheapest one which cover only the third parties. Um, for the damages, I do touch it to. Others, um, it doesn't cover myself.
2: Okay. And lastly, um, we have a guest coming up to address some of the concerns around a uh, commute. So, um, what questions do you have in mind?
3: Um, I would like to know if there are any tips to reduce expenses on keeping a car. Um, maybe I also want to know. Um, I I was not involved in any accident, Touchwood. But just in case. Is there any advice on getting an insurance of good coverage, which is also economical?
0: You heard there from our listener Fiona raising some financial concerns over her choice of commute. For advice, Jimmy Lam went to speak to Professor Terence Chong of the Department of Economics from the Chinese University of Hong Kong and an expert on transport and commuting costs. Do you think Fiona made the right
2: decision of buying a car for her commute?
4: Well, it's a very simple cost and benefit analysis. So, of course, if she bought a car, um, it would be much more expensive than like taking a bus or MTR. But um, she saves <coughs> 45 minutes per per trip, and round trip is 1.5 hour. So, depending on her salary, well, if you if she makes like 100 dollar per hour, that means she can save 150 per day. And if she go for work for 20 days that means that at least can save her like uh, uh, $3,000. So if this benefit is more than the cost of I mean, buying a car, I think it works for her to buy a car.
2: And um, how do we evaluate our spending on commute and relatively how much percentage of our monthly expense should a commute account for? Well, if people are
4: taking public transport normally, uh, individually, it's between 5% to 10% of your income. For like a family of uh, middle income like uh, like eighteen dollars per month, if you have a f- four member in the family, maybe 10%, 10 percent, 10 to 15 percent, I think it's um, reasonable if it's in the range between five to like 10 percent, but if it's more than 15
2: percent, it' be too expensive um, So let's say uh, Fiona finds out that she's spending more than that benchmark um, by using a car uh, for commute. What are the other options uh, she can explore?
4: Well, of course, if, sh- if you own a car in Hong Kong, it's quite expensive now. The most expensive part is not the car price per se, it's the um, parking. Because you have to have a parking space in your home and also you have to have a parking space at your working place. So if it is at market price, that two uh, car park will be like 7000 per month at least. So unless you have some cheaper place to park, otherwise... Uh, unless your income is like eighty or 90000 per month. Otherwise, I don't suggest people to own a car. Another option that uh, Fiona can do is to move to a place which, which is very near to her working place so that she don't need to take any um, public transport. So if even the rental may be the rent may be more expensive but you can compare this with your I mean, cost of commute. If the commuting cost is like three thousand four thousand a month, then it 's worth for you to rent an apartment near your working place, even it 's more expensive, like two thousand and three thousand more expensive and it also saves you a time uh, and, and, and that that would be a very good decision if she i mean rent a place uh, near, near her working place
2: okay, and uh, what if she decides um, okay uh, to revert back um, mm. to use bus um, to travel instead, so what could she do with her car? <laughs>
4: Well, the the best thing to do is to get rid of it to to sell it at at a at a good price because you just own it for like several months. I will tell you my story when I first own a car. I when I first got a, got a driver license, I need a second hand car for me to practice. So I buy a second hand car from my secretary for like eighteen thousand Hong Kong dollar, and then after several months practice, I actually resell it at the market at twenty two thousand. So I actually make a profit out of it. How come your car appreciate? <laughs> because uh, you have to have a good bargain. Because second hand price, second hand car can be very cheap. So you have to shop. Uh, um, I mean, I mean, do spend some effort in in shopping the second hand car, and then uh, you, you you get a good good. I mean, bargain, and then you can sell it um, and buy a, find a good buyer to buy your second hand car, and that may make a profit. Wow.
2: And uh, what if uh, Fiona wants to keep her car? T- can you have some share some advice on how to keep her uh, car expenses lower?
4: Well, of course, um, the you know if she lives near a uh, public parking space, you know the government public parking space they are free from eight p.m. to eight a.m. normally. So if she can do that, she can like uh, reschedule her working hour. She can go to work at eight a.m take her car away when, 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 when I mean, it, it's, it's charged a fee and she can come back at 8pm and actually that is what I'm doing
2: now I own free cars but I don't have free parking space so sometimes I park my car in a public parking space. Oh, okay, but that's very good advice and uh, another question she mentioned is uh, the car insurance package right. Um, so right now she has the lowest uh, level of coverage right. um, what would you advise her to do? Well, Normally, unless your car is very expensive
4: you buy full coverage, otherwise people normally just buy the third person
0: coverage. That was Jimmy Lam talking to Professor Terence Chong from CUHK. Leveraged foreign exchange trading is used by investors and companies to profit from the fluctuations in exchange rates between two different currencies. It's a geared investment with complexities and risks. I'm joined now by Tariq Denison, Portfolio Manager at GFM Group, to explain how to trade foreign exchange and some of the factors to consider. Now leverage foreign exchange trading. That's a regulated activity here in Hong Kong. That's it's right. a way in which a number of people trade currencies. Can you explain a bit about how that works?
5: well i 'm sure uh, much of the audience is already familiar with some kind of foreign exchange trading even at the most pedestrian level, meaning that say if they go on a holiday in Europe or in australia they 're going to have to exchange their Hong Kong dollars to euros or Australian dollars and so forth, and they may notice from one year to the next that the euro may be more expensive or, or less expensive, but the actual percentage of the amount of money that that 's going to affect them may not seem very much um, you know even from a year to year basis on the other hand, if somebody sees those moves, and they want to try and make a lot of money doing that. Say that they believe that the euro is going to strengthen by 10% over the next quarter, over the next year. Leverage allows them to take $1 and basically multiply it by 5 times, 10 times, even 20 times or more on the foreign exchange market so that that 10% move can be magnified to double their money or even triple their money.
0: So we should point out that you're leveraging small moves Mm -hmm. in the foreign exchange rate, which could work in your favour, but it could also work against you. You're leveraging it when it's wrong as well. So there are some quite big risks to this.
5: There are enormous risks to it. Uh, In fact, I would often say that in foreign exchange trading, Uh, It often can ease people into a false sense of security that currencies may not seem to move very much day to day or minute to minute, which is why many leveraged foreign exchange providers can offer enormous multipliers of leverage, sometimes as high as 200 to 1. Now, you can imagine a 200 to 1 multiplier means that if the currency even moves half a percent against you, your entire investment gets wiped out.
0: And, in fact, you could lose far more than you originally invested in the first place. Exactly,
5: depending, of depending, of course, on what type of instrument you use. If you use traditional leveraged foreign exchange, you're on the hook for the whole amount that the currency has moved against you. Now, there are other instruments like options or uh, guaranteed stop losses where it can at least guarantee that you've limited the amount that you put at risk.
0: So what are the other ways, some of the other ways of, of trading foreign currency?
5: Well, um, so... Other than plain leveraged foreign exchange contracts where you're effectively borrowing the other $199 in order to leverage up your $1, uh, you can also use CFD contracts or futures contracts. This is essentially like I come up to you and say, Hi, Peter, I would like to borrow, I would like to buy the euro from you one year from now. So not today, but one year from now. I want to go ahead and lock in the rate at, one, at $115. Uh, and I'm not going to pay you all of it right now. I'm just going to put down a little bit of money right now to, to show you that I'm serious. That I'm going to come one year from now and buy the euro from you at 115. Uh, So it's effectively like a contract, except it's without me explicitly borrowing the difference. There's also an option contract. An option contract basically says, hey, Peter, I would like to buy the euro from you at 115 a year from now. Um, I want to buy the right to do that, but I don't necessarily have to do it if I don't want to. If the euro weakens, I can let that option expire worthless. You keep the amount of money that I've left with you. But if the euro goes up to 125, I'll come to you and say... uh, Hey, you sell it to me at 1.15 just as promised. Okay.
0: And what sort of factors affect the movements of currencies?
5: Well, um, just like any other commodity, it's really supply and demand. Uh, But in the world that we live in, all the currencies that we really deal with are fiat currencies. They're ultimately liabilities by some central bank. And ultimately, what central banks do is one of the biggest drivers of whether that currency moves up or down.
0: Now, currency traders like charts and trends. So once a currency started to move in a particular direction, it can establish a trend that often lasts years sometimes, doesn't it? So what sort of trends are we seeing at the moment?
5: Well, it can. uh, And certainly I think one thing that financial, uh, that FX traders like, is that there is a lot of day-by-day, tick-by-tick data to create large, big, beautiful, colorful charts. I often think, though, a lot of those can be can be quite distracting, and if you look at um, charts over any period of time, and then, let's say, try to create a randomly generated chart using a random number generator, I often find that I can present these charts side by side to many FX traders, and they won't be able to tell me which one is real and which one was generated by my random number generator. Um, the one thing that many people don't know about uh, random sequence is, is that they can often, uh, they often seem to produce trends, even though there really is no underlying trend. Um, but that said, there's been a lot of study on uh, doing trend-following strategies and other strategies in the foreign exchange market, which different people have done with different degrees of success.
0: Now, a currency pair should bear some relationship to its underlying economy and also the purchasing power of that currency. So how can we value a currency?
5: Well, in theory, you, you would use a concept called purchasing power parity. I mean, in theory, if there are all of these different goods that I can buy, let's say here in Hong Kong, I look at um, every day I may buy a lunch, I may buy my, uh, my bus ticket and my metro ticket. Um, you know, I may need to pay one night of rent, obviously, for, uh, for the apartment that I stay at and so forth like that. And then I say, okay, let me go over to New York or London and see how many do- US dollars do I need for that? How many pounds do I need for that? Down in Sydney, how many Aussie dollars will I need for for that there should be some overall. Um, we often think there's some relationship between what the costs of goods should be in one currency versus another, so that let's, especially, let's say, in the case of iPhones, uh, I shouldn't be able to, you know, buy iPhones in one country and then automatically sell them for 20% profit in another country. So, The Economist has created a Big Mac index, mm-hmm. quite a famous
0: index. Can you explain briefly how that works and also what it's telling us about? The, particularly the U.S. dollar, which is obviously the currency we're most concerned about here in Hong Kong.
5: Exactly. So just as we described purchasing power parity, being that you shouldn't be able to take an iPhone and sell it for here and there for different prices, uh, the Big Mac Index was created by The Economist many, many years ago, many, many years before the iPhone, as a way of standardizing a product that you could buy in many, many different cities around the world. You can buy a Big Mac in Beijing, you can buy it in Oslo, you can buy one in New York. And the nice thing about it is it's relatively consistent. It's not like trying to compare a bowl of noodles in Hong Kong and New York, which may actually be quite different noodles. This has the McDonald's brand on it. It all has Two beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. Um, and what it's comparing is it's comparing relative labor costs, relative real estate costs, and, and other things in that basket of goods that we talked about. Now, usually what you say is in uh, if it, the same Big Mac costs more in Oslo than it does in Hong Kong, that gives us an idea that the Norwegian krona might be relatively expensive or relatively overvalued compared with the Hong Kong dollar. And what does it tell us right now about the U.S. dollar? Well, right now it tells us the U.S. dollar is still relatively expensive. Even though it's about uh, 10% off of its highs uh, from earlier this year, the euro is up about uh, 10% over the course of the year. The Singapore dollar, even one of my favorite metrics of the overall level of the dollar, uh, has been up against the dollar. But it still doesn't show that other currencies are overvalued versus the dollar or that the uh, that the dollar is yet undervalued. It really only shows that the Swiss franc and some of the Scandinavian currencies seem relatively expensive compared to the U.S. dollar. But I don't go to McDonald's quite as often as a few others, but I'm sure if you go to a McDonald's in the US, I heard that Big Macs there are about five US dollars, whereas here in Hong Kong, they're 19 Hong Kong dollars, which is less than half that price. That would make you think that the Hong Kong dollar is relatively undervalued versus the US dollar, but I think that tells us that's one of the limitations of the Big Mac index. Thanks, Tariq. Thank you, Peter. That's Tariq Dennison from the GFM Group.
0: Thank you for listening to Money Talk Extra this morning. On next week's programme, we'll discuss the financial aspects of caring for the elderly. And in our investment segment, I'll look at investing in small cap stocks. So please do join Jimmy Lamb and me for another episode of Money Talk Extra next Saturday morning at 8.30. In the meantime, this is Peter Lewis wishing you a great weekend.